So I want to invite as mighty men of God. All right, come on up, Christian. Be ready, guys. It's going to be powerful. I just know it. I just know it. <laughs> all right, all right. I think our new Philly team was absolutely delighted by that response you guys gave them. Definitely the young adult ministry here. Young, adult, young adults here. We did the same uh, body worship in Las Vegas, and we didn't quite get nearly the same enthusiastic response. There was a lot of uh, awkward uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers in the crowd. I guess they didn't, they didn't know how, how to respond appropriately, but you guys, you guys are really, um, you guys are really something. But I think, I think you know, the, the team, you know, um, Many of them are not professional dancers. Actually, that body worship, a segment of that, it was a simplified version of a full body worship that we did at our church-wide retreat in May. And uh, we had uh, about uh, three professional amateur dancers. They choreographed uh, a body worship to a hip-hop song, a couple of hip-hop songs, and they performed at the church-wide retreat. And it was really powerful. It was very creative. They created it uh, from scratch. And when we talked about doing a body worship for our missions trips and our ministry trip, um, I asked one of the girls, Mary, I said, why don't you um, take uh, the church-wide body, the church-wide retreat body work, the dance, and just simplify it, and have the missions teams and ministry team, have them learn it. And she's like, what? Are you kidding me? And I looked at her, and I was like, come on, all things are possible with the Lord. <clears throat> and so she had a great challenge teaching it, and then the, um, all the team members, there were about 50 of them, they all had a challenge learning it. Many of them were very discouraged. Many of them could not get the moves down. Many of them had to put in extra hours. And so even our uh, ministry team here to Las Vegas and San Francisco, we, they really worked hard on it. And sometimes, you know, they perform it, and they don't get many enthusiastic responses. But I think you guys made it all worth it for them tonight. <laughs> You know, part, you know, a big reason why um, I love uh, these kinds of hip-hop dances and things, because uh, I want New Philly to have a reputation as a church that supports the arts. Because uh, I really believe creativity is a big key in being a church that reaches young adults and reaching the youth and young adults. You've got to be creative. You've got to follow the leading of the Spirit. You've got to continually be in a process of renewal. You've got to listen for the voice of the Spirit and move where He moves. And so the arts helps to build a culture of creativity and collaboration in the house. And so I, I, I've been financially sewing into some of these dancers and giving them uh, honorariums for uh, creating these body worships and creating these dances. Because I really want New Philly to be a church that uh, is known for creativity and supporting the arts. And uh, I really think I, I see the same kind of heart and spirit here at Living Hope uh, among the Arkers. You know, um, among um, all of the, uh, the art churches that joined us, Radiance, uh, what was the other church? Uh, Reality, and there's another art church, River, and then TKC. <laughs> we, 
We have three guys from all the way from Orange County that drove up seven hours to be with us at this retreat. It's Jason, John, and Kevin. Uh, Pastor Tom and Rachel, they sent them. They're spiritual sons to Pastors Benjamin and Sonny. And uh, they drove up seven hours. So, you know, the Lord blesses those who are willing to travel for the anointing. You know, so bless you guys for joining us. Uh, Why don't we hit the lights? Is there a reason why the lights are still off? All right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, send some of these guys to do an internship at New Philly, and they'll be on the lights real quick. Uh, I'll play. I'll play. No, it's good. It's good. All right, thank you for the lights. All right, so we are learning about these different development stages in just natural development, in a person's development toward maturity and adulthood. And you can see how at various stages, when certain things happen or don't happen, it can really stunt your development. It can stunt your maturity. And although your physical body keeps on growing, there are other parts of you that don't. And then when you become an adult and on the outside, people expect you to be an adult and expect you to be mature. But on the inside, there are still areas that are underdeveloped. It can make for a very mm, difficult situation uh, with your friends, in your marriage. I mean, it, it can affect everything. And it's so important that we grow into maturity, uh, both in kind of uh, our emotional health, but also in our spirituality. We've got to grow up and continually mature into the things of God. You know, when, when Christ died, I don't, I, like I said the other day, he did not die for us to just get a ticket to, to go to heaven. Christ shed his blood for a radiant bride, a victorious church, a church that is mature and reflects his glory. And that, is, that kind of church is a church that has grown into full maturity in Christ. And so the Apostle Paul talks about these themes. He uses a Greek uh, word, teleos, and oftentimes it will be translated per- perfect or perfection. And sometimes when we think of the word perfect in English, it's a little discouraging. You know, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Or, you know, as God is growing us into perfection, we think of perfection, we think it's, a, it's useless to even try to aim for it. Because nobody's perfect. It's like a cliche statement that we all make. But the Greek word teleos carries the meaning of completion, maturity, as well as that concept of perfection. So it's a different kind of word, and it's a word that carries the meaning of maturity. And so I believe that Jesus is all about maturity. Maturity in all of the aspects of our lives. And tonight I want to talk about I want to talk about the blessings of corporate prayer. That's the title of my message tonight. The blessings of corporate prayer. Because if you ever meet a Christian, you can measure the level of spiritual maturity they're at by listening to the way they pray. In fact, you can just measure where a Christian is at when you ask them to pray for the meal. You know, and some people, some young people, when you ask them to pray for a meal, it's like the end of the world. Oh, no, no, why are you asking me? Oh, I can't pray for the meal. And they start getting a heart attack. Or if they do pray, 
when you listen to the content of, a, of their prayer, you can sometimes tell the level of their spiritual maturity. Or sometimes people can pray the right words, but the spirit by which they are praying, if you're able to discern, you can tell when they are not really mature yet. Prayer is not only a measure of spiritual maturity, but prayer is also the vehicle that gets you to spiritual maturity. So tonight I want to talk about the blessings of corporate prayer. The blessings of corporate prayer. You know, prayer is one of the most important ministries in the church. In fact, it is so important that in the book of Acts chapter 6, we read that when the apostles were faced with a certain situation where widows were being neglected in the distribution of food, they said to themselves, we can't get caught up in this busy work. Although it's very important that widows be taken care of, we can't get caught up in this. We got to delegate this to somebody else so that they can do what? Two things they mentioned in Acts 6.4. So the apostles can devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. In other words, the top level position of leadership in the church, the apostolic leadership, the two most important things that they devoted themselves to in the early church was prayer and preaching. Prayer and the ministry of the word. Prayer is so important in our own Christian lives and in the life of the church. Yeah. Now, we all know about the blessings of personal prayer, don't we? Yeah. Acts chapter six, I mean, Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. Because they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door behind you, and pray in secret. And your father who sees what you've done in secret will reward you. You know, when I was a, a fourth grader, I got saved. When I was in fourth grade, I went to vacation Bible school. And a female, Chondo Sanim preached the gospel, and asked, if anybody wanted to receive Christ, stand to your feet. And I just remember there was a burning in my heart, and I wanted to shake it off. I didn't want to be embarrassed in front of my friends, but I just had to stand up. So I remember standing up and thinking all my other friends were standing up too. But when I opened my eyes, I noticed that I was like one of the few people that are, like one of two people that were standing. And so Jonathan didn't want to embarrass us, so she said, why don't you, you two see me in my office after the service. And I was like, what? Man, I want to go and play. You know, I want to go and swim, you know. But she took me into her office and she led me in prayer to receive Christ. And I remember uh, about a year later, they sent me a little ghetto certificate. And it said, you are now a born again Christian and follower of Christ, you know. But I remember after I became a Christian, I started reading my Bible. And the only Bible that I had around was a pictorial Bible called the Good News Bible. And there was all these stick figures inside. But the stick figures were actually quite good. Like you, you just fill it in with your imagination. You could see Jesus feeding the 5,000. And I'm, I started with the book of Matthew because there's no Old Testament in the Good News Bible. And I started with the book of Matthew. And I remember getting to chapter 6. And I read this. And I was like, wow, if I go to my room and I shut my door and I pray to my father who is unseen, he's going to reward me. And you know, as a fourth grader, you know what I thought of? 
He's going to reward me with Nintendo games. Because my family wasn't that, we weren't, we weren't, we weren't well off. So a lot of times, you know, I just had to play the game that came with the Nintendo system, Super Mario Brothers. That's all I play, played, you know. I beat all the levels and, you know, knew all, all the cheat codes and stuff like that. But after a while, you know, you get tired of Super Mario Brothers. You want to play some other games. And so I would ask my dad, but my dad would always say, oh, yeah, I'll get it for you. I'll get it for you. But he would always forget. And so I remember praying. And I just pray for, like, my parents. I pray for my family, my church. And I pray for everything but the Nintendo game. Because I thought that the Lord would reward me. He knew the desires of my heart. He knew what I wanted before I asked him. And I got into a habit of doing that. And so, in fact, from fourth grade until graduation from high school, I prayed every single night. There was not a night that I missed. It's really amazing. These days, I don't do that. (laughs) I'm the pastor of a growing church. I don't do that. I need that grace to come back to me. (laughs) Actually, one of the things I pray for almost every single night was the salvation of my father. And in fact, to this day, he's not a Christian. He is opposed to Christianity because he's been so hurt by the church. And he saw so much corruption among Presbyterian missionaries and Presbyterian churches down in Tegu and, and in Seoul. He saw so much corruption, so much scandal, sexual scandals, embezzlement. He just said, these guys are a bunch of fakes. And when he interacted with Christians, they were so religious, so self-righteous, so like harsh and rigid. He didn't see any freedom in that. And he said, man, I don't want nothing to do with these people. I remember one time my, my dad went to a Thanksgiving family reunion with my mom's side of the family. And my mom's side of the family, my, my, my grandfather was a pastor. And so my mom's side of family, they were very, very religious. So whenever we have a Thanksgiving uh, family gathering, we would have uh, uh, family uh, worship, you know, and we would sing these hymns, and all my cousins would just be like, uh, and they'd be lip, lip-syncing all these hymns. And then we'd do this long service. And I remember one time my dad told me that one of my uncles kind of talked to him about Jesus, and my, my dad was like, my dad was willing to listen, but the guy, my uncle, he, he's like my in-law. He's not my blood uncle, but he was so forceful in his presentation of the gospel. My dad just kind of shut his heart, and he said, I'm never coming back to these family reunions again. And he's a man of his word. He never came back to a family reunion ever again. But I remember praying for him every single night. And last week when we were in L.A., my wife and I, we met up with him. And he's, he moved to L.A. from Philly about a year ago. And he's having a hard time. He's 67 years old and he's uh, carrying like all of these uh, car parts for a living. He's like transporting car parts. And some of those things he said are 50 to 60 pounds heavy. And he's continuing putting them in trucks and out of trucks. And he's doing financially um, not so well. And so he's at a place where, you know, I believe that God's using all of these things for his good. And he's going to use all these things to bring him to the foot of the cross. And I believe when he gets saved, it's not going to be like, oh, my dad started going to church. When my dad gets saved, oh, it's going to be powerful. Yeah. In fact, he uh, is a very, uh, is a man with a lot of charisma. When, I, when he was 18 years old, he, uh, when he was in the military, he used to, when he was uh, 18 years old, he used to do a lot of plays. And he used to do a lot of dramas. He'd do even monologues by himself and just entertain like neighborhood people. And so when he went to the military, 
he, he didn't want to do all the military exercises. So he asked his uh, sergeant, can I be involved in doing entertainment for the military guys and the, and the neighborhood people? And the sergeant agreed. And then my dad used to do all these performances, he said. And the neighborhood people would just pack it in. Like, he's got that kind of charisma. I know that when he receives Christ, it's not going to be him just going to church. I'm praying that my dad will be a powerful evangelist that will go into Korean churches. He'll probably offend a few people. But he's going to bring like a refreshing breath of life. Anyway, I'm looking forward to that day. Now, that had nothing to do with my message. I'm sorry about that. That, that, that was ministering to somebody. All right. Keep praying for your, keep praying for your father. All right. But Jesus said, go into your room, shut the door, pray in secret, and you will receive your reward. Uh, indeed, there are blessings to personal prayer. You think nobody else is watching, but God is always watching. And when you pray in that secret place and you nurture that personal prayer life, there are so many blessings that come with that. There's a oneness and intimacy with God that cannot be had in any other way. That cannot be had by attending and participating in just corporate events. You got to nurture your own personal history with God. James 5.16 says, the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. When you're walking in righteousness, your prayers have power. And that's talking about just one man's prayer. But tonight, I don't want to talk about personal prayer. I want to talk about the blessings of corporate prayer, the power of corporate prayer. Because one thing that I know about doing ministry with New Philly is if we did not have a strong corporate prayer movement at the church, I am convinced that the revival spirit that we are carrying will quickly be snuffed out. The, the precision, the prophetic precision and discernment that our leaders carry will quickly be confused. confused. People who are walking in boldness confidence and faith they will probably quickly fall into fear and insecurity it is our corporate prayer movement that is the engine that drives our church's ministries in matthew 18 19 jesus said if two of you agree about anything on her earth it will be done by my father in heaven now you might be like well if i just agree by myself and pray about something won't be done by my father in heaven and the answer is yes but jesus is pointing out that when two of you agree on it and you release your faith in agreement about it there is an aspect in which god moves in prayer the resources of heaven are released through prayer in a way that is not when when you do it just by yourself and so in this verse i believe in matthew 18 19 jesus is talking about the power of corporate prayer if two of you on earth agree about anything, if two of you agree about anything on earth, it will be done by my Father in heaven. Imagine what will happen when 200 of you agree on earth. So I want to talk about some of the blessings of corporate prayer. First thing uh, comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. First blessing of corporate prayer is it nullifies the works of the enemy. The bad news about the Christian life is when you are born again, you are born into a battle. You are born into a war 
that you did not choose for yourself. Satan is a thief. And the thief is out there to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus came that we may have life and life abundant. And when we pray together in a corporate setting, there is power there to nullify the works of the enemy. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 to 5 says, Though we walk in the flesh, though we together as a church, we walk in the flesh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. In other words... When we pray together, we have access to weapons that are powerful to nullify the works of the enemy. The Bible says this is the reason the Son of God was made manifest, to destroy the works of the devil. So when the church gets together, we are able to destroy the works of the devil even more effectively when we pray separately, independently alone. That's the first blessing of corporate prayer. The second blessing is turn to Acts chapter 4. If you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verses 31 through 32. It says, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit And continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Verse 32. Now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul. One heart and one soul. In the NIV it says all the believers were one in heart and mind. Second blessing of corporate prayer is unity. You know, unity is an elusive thing for a lot of churches. A lot of churches say, come on y'all. Come out to this retreat. Come on, y'all. Come out to this fellowship event. We got to build unity. Come out and do these team activities together. Trust falls. Let's do trust falls together. We got to build the church unity. But one thing I've learned in my personal experience with New Philly is I rarely talk about unity at New Philly. All I talk about is prayer. If I can get the people of the church to come out to the prayer meetings... I noticed that the automatic result of them praying together is that they stay together. When they learn to pray with one heart and one mind, the mind of Christ, they they learn to be of one in unity. Instead of going after unity and making it this goal that we want to try to achieve, if all you do is try to, if all you do is get the church to come out and pray, to, pray together, you're going to get unity. When they're praying, led by the Holy Spirit together, there's a unity. You know, I get baffled sometimes how amazing it is. It's, it's such a powerful grace that I see. And just like here in the book of Acts, all believers were one in heart and mind. The early church was able to experience this kind of unity. Although they had different backgrounds, different diversity of backgrounds, they were able to experience this because they were praying together. At New Philly, um, what we do is every Sunday we have a prayer meeting at all of our locations, even in Sydney, 
We have a prayer meeting before the, per- uh, before the Sunday service. And so in order to come to the prayer meeting, you have to show up like two and a half hours, two hours before the Sunday service. Now you think young people, they probably don't want to come out to something like that, right? But you're wrong. If you can really cast a vision and you can get people to value and you establish a culture of prayer, people come out to pray. I remember visiting um, a church in Virginia and we got there like 10 minutes late and we were worried that, oh no, we missed like half the praise or something like that. We got there 10 minutes late and they didn't start for another 10 minutes because worship leaders were still arriving. They were, the service was at like 10 a.m. And worship leaders are arriving at 10, 10 a.m. And they just come right out of their car, rush up, grab the guitar, and start leading worship. And you can tell it was a little bit frazzled because of that. So this is the reason why I believe that I'm so thankful that God has established this kind of prayer culture. Now, actually, actually, we did this accidentally. I didn't do it on purpose. You see, before I was the lead pastor, I was the prayer team leader at the church. So as the prayer team leader, what I used to do is I used to require the prayer team to show up two, two hours before the service every Sunday. And I would do a little training with them, 45 minutes of training, and then we do 45 minutes of prayer. And I got such into a routine of it, and I saw so much blessing and benefits of this. When I became the lead pastor, I was like, well, why can't I do, a, do that with the whole church? Yeah. All right, everybody, I want you all to come out, and we're going to call it Sunday Swim. Come and take a dip in the river of God before you show up to Sunday service. Don't come to, don't come to worship, to worship. Come to worship, worshiping. You're already in the spirit of worship. You're already engaging the heart of God. And so I did that. And uh, not many people showed up. <laughs> but the prayer team, they were faithful. They continued to come. It was like the prayer team and maybe about eight other people. So we had about 15 people come out every Sunday. But let me tell you. The people that were coming out, they were dedicated. They were faithful. And we kept on praying, and we prayed specifically, Lord, move upon the hearts of other church members to come out and pray with us every Sunday. And one by one, people kept coming out. People kept coming out. Eventually, we were actually, um, we started out, this is kind of funny. It's like a rite of passage, right? We started out doing the Sunday swim in the Montessori. It's like a preschool building. And so... All of the chairs are like little, little children's chairs, little mini chairs, right? And there's like no space. And, and you know, in the winter, is super cold because they won't turn on the heat for us. In the summer, the AC is not working well. You know, we, we suffer through that time. But we, we used to meet there about 20, 25 people, you know, every week for a year, year and a half. And then God started continuing to move. And as our membership and leadership grew, People continue to catch the vision for the church, and they started to come out and invest into the prayer movement. Today, when, we go to, when you go to Sunday Swim at Hillside, uh, we have an average of about 100 people showing up before service every single week. And so we went from the preschool into um, the prayer room in the, uh, in the main sanctuary. And so it holds about 150 people in there. And it's stinky because uh, you have to take off your shoes. So everybody takes off their shoes and they get in there, and we, but we pack it in there. And uh, it was really actually more humid in there than the preschool because it's underground. It's like the basement area. 
But uh, praise the Lord, the KM, I guess they felt really bad for us. So they renovated the whole um, room. And so it's a little less humid and it looks a little bit better. Anyway, I don't know why I'm talking about that. But it builds unity. Corporate prayer, it builds unity. And so whatever church you're from, I want to encourage you to pray for a prayer movement to be sparked at your church. If you already have a prayer movement, pray that God will flame, fan that flame into a greater fire. Another benefit, another blessing of corporate prayer is it releases miracles. In Acts 12 verse 5, the Bible says that earnest prayer for Peter was made to God by the church. Peter was stuck in prison at this time. King Herod had placed him in prison. And the way that the church responded to his imprisonment was they got together and they prayed. They did not get into a room and start talking to lawyers about some some kind of counter lawsuit. They did not devise some illegal way to break them out of prison. They got together and they prayed. And when they prayed, God performed a miracle on their behalf. In fact, they were so shocked that when Peter got released from prison and he knocked on the door, they couldn't believe that it was him. They thought it was some ghost or something like that. When you pray together, God releases miracles. Three years ago, um, one of my friends from New York City, she's a, she's a really acclaimed uh, Juilliard violinist. She's a good friend of mine. And uh, she had come out to Korea because her mother has suffered a brain aneurysm. And the aneurysm was so bad that the doctors projected that she will only have a few months to live. And her family members were actually medical doctors. And so, so they personally looked into it, looked into different options, and everything looked very grim. And so she, in her tears, asked me and New Philly to pray for her mother. And so we did. Two weeks before the retreat, we started praying for her at our Sunday Sim prayer meetings. And we just started crying out, Lord, release a miracle on behalf of my friend Suji's mom. And then at the retreat, we also pray for her mom. And the amazing thing was, when I got to the retreat, I received a Facebook message from her. And she told us that it's like a miracle took place. Like all of her cousins who were medical doctors, they knew it. They personally were involved in the diagnosis. They could not explain what happened. They said that the brain aneurysm just healed miraculously, quickly, on its own. So they canceled the surgery to try to remove all the damage. And then on top of that, they projected she need like a couple months in the hospital to recover. After the retreat, four days later, she was out of the hospital. She went from terminally ill, about to die. You know, when you have brain aneurysm, something pops in your brain like that. Like most people die from that. She couldn't speak. She was unconscious. She was in a coma. And she, I, I remember she just was thanking uh, myself and, my, and, the, and the New Philly Church, she was just thanking us. She knew that it was only by the power of prayer. That through corporate prayer, God had released a mighty miracle on her mom's behalf. To this day, her mom's healthy and strong. Amen. Corporate prayer releases miracles. A uh, couple other blessings that I've seen personally at New Philly. Uh, when you pray together, it builds a heart and a faith for whatever petition you are praying. So, for example, 
at our church, we have a lot of leaders who have a big heart for North Korea. But when new people come to New Philly, they don't necessarily have a heart for North Korea. But every Friday fire and uh, every once a month, we have this thing called joint prayer meeting. Every one of these prayer meetings, we share news about North Korea. We share the plight of North Koreans. We've shared the plight of North Koreans who are stuck in China, defectors, refugees that have escaped and are, and are being put into human trafficking, that are uh, living underground, orphans that go back and forth along the border looking for food. We share all of these stories, and then we get people to pray. Because even when we share the stories, some people are just like, all right, thanks for the news. Uh, I like to just go back to my life. And, you know. But when, the, when they pray and they engage the heart of God regarding the issue, we will see young people start crying for something that they had not even been interested in before. God will supernaturally give an impartation of his brokenness for the North Korean people. He'll give it to them in the place of prayer. So another blessing of corporate prayer that I've seen is it builds a heart and a faith for whatever topic you're praying for. You know, if you feel like at your church, you know, there are certain, there are certain things that are important to your pastor, but the people are really not into it. My suggestion is get them to pray into it. Get them to pray into it. Lead prayer topics. We lead prayer topics with some good PowerPoint or some good prayer points. Keep leading prayer for it. And the people of God, they will build a heart and a faith for it, for that topic. You know, it makes sense. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, your, your time is an aspect of your treasure. It's something that's precious to you. It's not just money. Time is money, right? Time is very precious to you. So the more time you spend in something, the more your heart will be attached to that thing. So if you spend all of your time playing Halo, which is a video game, a shoot 'em up video game, there, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, you know? You spend all your time on PS3 playing some video games, your heart's going to continually be, your mind's going to continue to go to that video game. So the more time you spend in prayer for a particular topic, it makes sense that your heart is also going to be found there. Another thing that we pray for consistently in New Philly that not all churches pray about is Jerusalem. We pray for uh, the Jews. And this is a sticky topic because we have smart seminarians who insist that the Jews are done with. There's nothing in God's plan for the Jews or or the land of Israel. All of that has been completed and fulfilled in the, in the spiritual Israel, which is the church. And then there are good people, uh, dispensationalists, who have a much more uh, literal interpretation of Old Testament passages. And they insist that the land and the people, all these prophecies, there's still a literal fulfillment of these things. Now, we are, myself personally, I'm not on either side. I'm, I'm trying to find a more biblical balance of where to stand. But one thing's for sure, for our church, we pray for the Jews. And we believe that God's promise for the Jews has not failed. If you look through Romans 9 through 11, it's very difficult to conclude otherwise. Paul has this excruciating pain for his own kinsmen in the flesh, the fellow Jews. You know, he wants his fellow Jews to come to faith in Christ. But what was happening? Every place he went, it was the Jews that were opposing him. It was the Jews that were making covenants not to eat until they killed him. It was the Jews that would stir up the Gentiles to stone him to death. It was the Jews that kept opposing him. 
You know how frustrating that must have been for, for the Apostle Paul? But yet the Apostle Paul, he had a revelation, a mystery from God. That in this way, all Israel will be saved. There is a future salvation plan that God has for the Jews. And I believe that the church is to engage that plan through prayer. Uh, another benefit, a blessing that I've seen from corporate prayer is corporate prayer provides momentum for people's personal prayer life. You know, a lot of times people, newcomers to, to our church, they will come and they will have no prayer life whatsoever. You're talking about guys, if you ask them to pray for dinner, they get all insecure. They're like, okay, can you just ask somebody else? It's like those kinds of people. They will come to our church, feel real insecure, but as they come out to our corporate prayer meetings, a fire gets kindled for their personal prayer life. And about six months later, I'll be like, uh, hey, brother, can you pray for the uh, food? They'd be like, I'd be happy to. <laughs> and they just have this... Um, this fiery prayer for, for the food and just, this, you know, they're just, they're, just, they're just bold. It's powerful, you know. And I believe that uh, corporate prayer provides momentum for the personal prayer life. God wants the local church to have a reputation for prayer. Jesus said, my father's house is to be called a house of prayer for all nations. The basic reputation of the church is to be a house of prayer. It's not, he didn't say a house of preaching. He didn't say a house of praise. It is to be a house of prayer. A people of God who know how to call upon the name of the Lord. You know, I love IHOP. You know, we have a personal relationship with some of the leaders at IHOP. Uh, we have uh, Stephen Bochamp. We did a church wide retreat with Pastor Benjamin and Sonny in May. Uh, the healing deliverance director at IHOP, he came out and he, he it was powerful. And then we uh, were good friends with Ronnie Henderson, another leader, Kirk Bennett. We even had Alan Hood came, came by in New Philly last year. And so it was, like, it was like really powerful. Like his voice was gone, so he didn't really say much. But the few things that he said, it just like so deeply resonated with us. Everyone just started crying when Alan Hood, with his big steely blue eyes, he just started speaking to the audience. People just started crying and people just started laughing. It was powerful. I love IHOP. Don't get me wrong. I, I love I have, all right? But I think that I have should not be the only group that's called a house of prayer. That label, I believe, most appropriately fits with the local church. The local church is supposed to have their reputation. And you know what? I believe because churches in America are, are not praying, God has raised up I have to inspire the church to pray. A lot of burnout missionaries and pastors, a lot of them, they will move to Kansas City. They spend six months to a year. Why? Because they, all they've been doing is performance, 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 work, work, work. Especially at Koreans. A lot of Koreans at IHOP. There's a big Korean community at IHOP. And when they, get to, when they get to IHOP, International House of Prayer, there's nothing required of them. So they feel a little useless. And they realize their value is not upon what they do it's upon who they are in christ and they get really uncomfortable and so they spend the probably the first few weeks just learning how to do nothing in the presence of god for koreans that's a real difficult thing and people learn to just just be 
in the presence of God. You know, and it's in the, in the style of the tabernacle of David in the Old Testament. I think it's beautiful. But I don't think it's supposed to end there. I believe these people are supposed to return back to their churches, to their ministries. And they're supposed to kindle that house of prayer reputation for the local church. The church's primary reputation, I believe, needs to be a house of prayer. This is a teaching I got from Jim Simla of Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. If you ever visit a church in New York City, visit Brooklyn Tabernacle. It is in Brooklyn. So you will have to take the subway. You will get out of the subway. You will feel a little unsafe, but don't worry. All the crack and cocaine is gone. That's the, that was the 80s, all right? Brooklyn has cleaned up quite a bit. It's quite safe. But when you go to their Tuesday night prayer meeting, that's what the, the services that I used to go to, it was powerful. Because you know why? All they do is pray. They actually pray. And Jim Simbola says this in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. You can tell how popular a speaker is by who shows up to the conference. You can tell how popular a pastor is by who shows up to Sunday service. But you can tell who, how popular Jesus is by who shows up to the prayer meeting. When you have no celebrity worship leader, when you have no, you know, uh, Francis Chan, you know, Tim Keller speaking at your pulpit, you got no, you got no draw. Who's going to show up just to pray? Who's going to show up just for Jesus? Hey, we don't got no celebrity preacher tonight. We don't have no, you know, Mickey Cho, the hip-hop artist leading worship tonight. I'm sorry, y'all. We don't got nothing like that. Tonight, all we got is Jesus. Are you going to show up? Do you want to seek his face? Even if you get nothing out of it tonight, but just to seek his face, are you willing to show up? And so at Brooklyn Tabernacle, Pastor Simbola has created this culture of you come simply for Jesus. He actually doesn't like announcing who's going to speak at the Tuesday night prayer meeting. In fact, he makes sure that the speakers speak short so that they can spend the majority of the time in prayer. And let me tell you, man, they pray. I, my wife and I, we visited a year ago, and I met this. He's probably about 18, 19 years old, just graduated high school, this young black man. And we were supposed to pray, uh, pair up and pray together. And so I paired up with this young 18-year-old. And I was like, well, you know, he was like, where are you from? I'm from Korea. He said, what do you do? You know, I'm a pastor, you know, just pastor, just, you know, this small ministry in Korea, you know. And, uh, you know, and he's like, all right, all right. And what, I was like, what do you do? I just graduated high school. And I was like, okay, well, let's pray together. And so I, he goes, you go first. And so I pray, and I got a little nervous. I don't know why. <laughs> I got all insecure. <laughs> and so I just prayed like a simple prayer, and I said, amen. And he said, Amen. And then this 18-year-old, he started praying, and oh my goodness, he prayed with such proficiency, such rich vocabulary, I wanted to take notes while he was praying. I was like, I want to pray like this young man. But it wasn't just the words. It was the spirit by which he was praying. He was really believing God for the miracle that he was praying for. It was powerful. We got these little note cards. And it had names on it with people's prayer requests uh, from all over the world. People send in prayer requests to Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. And so they give out these cards. And then they make everybody at the prayer meeting pray over the card. That's a church committed to prayer. You know what I mean? A lot of churches, they'd be like, send in your prayer requests. And then you know, there's all these unread inbox messages, right? 
But at Brooklyn Tabernacle, they print those suckers out. They give them out and make sure everybody gets prayer. You know, at New Philly, we even try to do that. We didn't, we didn't get very far. <laughs> God wants the church to have a reputation for prayer. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, we are to be a house of prayer. You know, the, one of the greatest preachers of all time, he was called the Prince of Preachers, well-read man, proficient man, a man that I highly respect and I look up to, is Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, before they had microphones, he used to pack out these opera houses. There would be thousands of people. They would come to hear him preach. And there's a story of these young men, and they come to visit uh, his church, and they didn't know what Charles Spurgeon looked like. So Charles Spurgeon met them at the doorway, and the young men were like, "Yeah, uh, you know, we're looking for, you know, what time does the service start?" And and then I don't know how the story really exactly goes. I'm just making some stuff up right now, but I'm, I got the gist of it. Okay, the gist of it is, Charles Spurgeon does not reveal his identity, and he says, "Come follow me. I'll show you the the, the furnace. I'll show you the uh, the furnace that heats up the entire building." So they were like, well, why do you want to show us that? And he said, just follow me. So he takes them to this underground room underneath the sanctuary. He opens the door, and there were just thousands of people in there praying. I don't know if it was hundreds or thousands, but it was, it was a lot of people. Okay. Don't quote me, all right? I, I forgot the details. I'm not like my wife, man. My, my wife and Pastor Benjamin, they got these like really like detailed memories, very accurate. All right, me, I just get the gist of it, all right? And so these young men, they were like, what, 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 what's going on here? And then Charles Spurgeon was like, this is, the, this is the engine that drives this church. It heats up the whole house. They pray. They continue to pray, pray before the service, throughout the service. These are people that pray. And, and one thing that people don't know is it, Charles Spurgeon's ministry didn't see all that success just because of his preaching. They had a powerful prayer movement there. You know, the Korean church... How, how did the Korean church see such an explosion of growth and see the largest megachurches in the world in a short few decades? How did they get to that kind of explosive growth? Despite all of the Confucianism that's mixed in and messes up some of the church culture, you know, how did they experience such growth and how are they continuing to send out so many missionaries? And I believe it's because no matter how conservative of a Christian you are in Korea, all the Korean churches, they pray. They have the early morning prayer movement, right? Most churches, it's 4.30 a.m. They do that intentionally because there's no traffic in the city. So unless you have a car, you can't go to those things, right? And you go up 4.30 a.m., you go, and, and, and there are all these women, and they're out there praying. And even the men, the elders of the church, they will come out and pray. Corporate prayer has got to be the engine that moves the church forward. We got to have a strong culture of corporate prayer in the local church. If churches are going to see discipleship, effective discipleship, leading to full maturity, there's got to be a culture of corporate prayer. And one thing I want to say about prayer is um, the gift of tongues. Gift of tongues. Very dis divisive issue. Right? 
The Bible says, divided tongues of fire rested on each of the 120. Well, it's definitely divisive. Tongues is a very divisive issue in the church. Um, but these days, I notice that a lot of uh, preachers, they're preaching directly on tongues. And I'm, I find it refreshing. Because if you really study the Bible, wherever the Holy Spirit was poured out, there was tongues. So, for example, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit gets poured out. And one of the evidences, the first evidences that they were filled with the Spirit was people started speaking in tongues. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius' house, here they are hearing the gospel and in the middle of the gospel message, the Gentiles, they start speaking in tongues. They get, and then they interpret that to mean they got filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 19 verse 6, the apostle Paul teaches the believers at Ephesus, and then says, have you received the Holy Spirit? They're like, we haven't even heard about the Holy Spirit. He doesn't teach on tongues. He just teaches about the Holy Spirit, prays for them, lays hands on them, and they start getting filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues. So one thing you have to understand is the question is not, is tongues from God or not? That's not the question. When you read the book of Acts, it's real clear. The connection between the Holy Spirit filling and tongues, it's evident. It's clear. It's there. The question is not whether tongues is from God or not. The question is, is tongues still for today? And if it is still for today, we got to deal with this. You know, exegetically, you will not find a single passage of Scripture where it tells you that the gift of tongues has ceased. You will not find it because it's not in the Bible. You know... The Holy Spirit, he doesn't like it when you use your mouth, when you use your tongue to curse. He doesn't like it when you use it to gossip. He does like it when you use your mouth, when you use your tongue to praise him, to read his words. But you know what? Sometimes the Holy Spirit doesn't even like that either. I, uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 8 through 9, is quoting Isaiah 29, and he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Sometimes when you get so ingrained with cultural Christianity, some people are saying the words and singing the words, but they're not really meaning it from their hearts. The Holy Spirit only likes praise when it comes from a spirit of worship. Amen. That's why Jesus said the Father seeks true worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. But you know what the Holy Spirit always loved to hear when coming out of your mouth? It's tongues. When you pray in tongues, you know why? It's because the Holy Spirit is the one who inspires it. Since he inspires it, he loves it. Because for you to really speak in tongues, you got to get out of the driver's seat and let the Spirit of God fill you up. It is an act of faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Therefore, the Holy Spirit, He loves to hear you praying in tongues. Now, it may sound bizarre and strange. Yeah. For the uninitiated, it may sound very bizarre. Yeah. But I got one piece of advice for you. Get yourself a ladder and get over it. <laughs> you ever heard that? Come on, yes. a lot of people say that. God loves it when we submit and we act in faith. 
So whenever we pray in tongues, it is an act of submission and an act of faith. Jesus said this in Mark 16, 17. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons and they will speak in new tongues. Tongues is not just for pastors or leaders. It is for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. It says here, whoever believes. These are the times that will accompany all who believe, those who believe. You know, um, a lot of Christians who are open to the charismatic movement, you know, a lot of them have this cautionous stance. They say, I'm not cessationist. I don't believe these gifts have ceased, but I'm open to them. But I'm just a little cautious, you know? And so I get a little weirded out by that. So I like to keep it at a distance. And people think when they say that, that they should, it seems like they, they want a cookie or something. Like they said something like some, something profound. But, you know, when I really look at people like that sometimes, sometimes, not all the time. Really, it's just a cover-up for fear or a lack of faith. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 5, he said, I want you all to speak in tongues. I want you to tell your neighbor that right now. I want you all to speak in tongues. You know, church, we got to learn how to tap into the power of praying in tongues. Because it is going to charge up not only your personal prayer life, but it brings power to the corporate prayer life. You know, some Christians, they're like running on little AAA batteries. And they wonder why their spiritual walk has no power. You know, they get charged up at some retreat once a year, and they try to live off of that for the rest of the year. But we got to learn how to plug into the source. If you want to run an HD television, full HD, 120 hertz, LED, if you want to... If you want to watch television in HD, you got to plug into the source. You can't run on batteries. So let me talk about three ways in which uh, the, the praying in tongues is, uh, is a blessing to the body of Christ. Number one, Jude chapter 20, I mean Jude verse 20 says, You beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. You know, when you read your Bible, there's a progression of faith in which your faith is built up. But when you learn to pray in tongues, it releases this explosion of faith into every aspect of life. This is why when you pray in the Holy Spirit, you build yourselves up in your holy faith. You know, um, for you to speak in tongues, for the uninitiated, it is the most unnatural thing in the world. I remember the first time I got activated into the gifts of tongues. I did not want anybody to be near me when I exercised it. So I got alone in my car, and as I was driving, I said, all right, here we go. You are of sound mind, Christian. But let me see what this tongues thing got. And so I just started, Lord, I thank you and that you are coming upon me and filling me with your spirit. Here we go. Is that me or is that you, God? Is this real? I mean, I was, I was practicing up a storm, but I was always by myself. 
I'm like, come on, I was doing campus crusade ministry at Columbia. I mean, Columbia University, I mean, I did not want my students to know that I was practicing tongues. It was very, very unnatural. 1 Corinthians 13 says, you might be speaking in the tongues of men or of angels. Whether it sounds like German or it sounds like something from another galaxy, all I know is I don't understand a thing that I utter. So when I speak in tongues, it's always an act of faith. If you look at 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 through 4, verse 2 says, The one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men, but to God. You know, somebody may walk into your church and say, uh, since, you know, the people around you can't understand what you're saying in tongues, can you just uh, hush that up and go home and do that on your own? You know, some people may, they make that kind of basic argument. They say, you know, if, if people can't understand it, it's not edifying the congregation, so why don't you just leave that at home? Well, the Bible says here in verse 2 that one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men but to God. When we speak to God, what do we call that? We call that prayer. This is why the gift of tongues is often called a prayer language. So if you really break it down, if you look into the mind of Paul's theology, there are two kinds of the gift of tongues there. And for the observant Bible study person... Bible studier, they will find that there's two kinds of tongues. One is the gift of tongues accompanied by the gift of interpretation of tongues. When you have those two combined, it's a one-two punch that delivers, in effect, prophecy. So prophecy is when you speak to men on behalf of God. The second type of tongues, which is described here in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, is when you don't speak to men, but to God. And so we call that prayer. And so the second type of the gift of tongues is often called a prayer language. Because that's where you utter mysteries with your spirit. And you commune with God, spirit to spirit. And you feel this oneness that you can't feel when you only pray with just your mind. But a lot of people, they don't make that distinction. Praying in tongues as a prayer language, you build yourself up. When you prophesy, you build the church up. Both are good. Both are needed. It's not either or. So since tongues builds up your faith in God, and when your faith is built up, you draw into closer intimacy with God. Number one, tongues is firstly a love language. Of the bride of Christ. You know, um, when Aaron and I started dating, I noticed that uh, I speak different when I'm around her. <laughs> Especially when it's just me and her. <laughs> Unfortunately, sometimes when, my, when some of my staff are around, they overhear it. <laughs> but anyway, I don't, know, I don't know how it started. All I can say is that I do do it all the time. I have this shift in my tone, and I speak different. I use different vocabulary. Koreans call it egyo, right? Some of you are grossed out. Some of you are going aw. Some of you are going ew. But yeah, I, I confess that, you know, I have a lot of egyo with my wife. And you know what? She loves it, you know? Um, 
What, what are some of the things we do, hun? It's so embarrassing. I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> she, like, she, like, she likes to look tough in public. So anyway, she doesn't like to talk about it. But we have this love language. It's just between me and her. And I don't, I don't use it on Pastor Benjamin. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't use it on, my, on, the, on the staff uh, that are on uh, the pastors that are on staff, you know. I only use it with my wife. That's because the church, you have that similar kind of intimate love language that you have with the groom. And the gift of tongues helps to enable that kind of love language. Sometimes words just get in the way. And you just need to just express yourself freely. And the Holy Spirit will come fill you up and allow you, your spirit, to commune with God's spirit. So firstly, it's a love language for the bride of Christ. Second, it comes from Ephesians chapter 6. The gift of tongues, it equips you for warfare. In fact, if you look at the Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about the armor of God. Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt bug of truth, feet fitted with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith that stops the fiery darts of the enemy, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. A lot of times we end right there. But if you look at the next verse, it says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. In Paul's theology, a lot of people will interpret that term, pray in the spirit. They believe Paul meant praying in tongues. Some people will interpret that to mean praying, being led by the Spirit. But if you really look at the Holy Spirit-centric theology of Paul, I'm convinced that praying in the Spirit means praying in the Spirit. And like praying in the Spirit. I don't know if I just made that up, if that was tongue. But anyway, something like that, right? And a lot of times we think we got the full armor of God, and we end with the sword of the Spirit, but the very next line says, and pray in the Spirit. Every piece of armor is defensive except the sword. But if you read the next verse, you get also another offensive weapon, and that's praying in tongues. When you pray in the Spirit with all kind, in all kinds of occasions, you are able to confront the works of the enemy and nullify it. Uh, there was a movie called Wind Talkers. I don't know if you guys remember this, with uh, Nicolas Cage. And the gist of the story is... Back in World War II, when the U.S. Marines were having a difficult time taking over the islands of Iwo Jima, they enlisted, because the Japanese, every time that the U.S. would come up with these codes, the Japanese were breaking the codes, and they were just, just slaughtering all these U.S. Marines. And so the U.S. military decided to recruit a particular uh, group of Native Americans, who had a very distinct language that sounded like they were like, like, like wind talkers. Okay, so I don't, I don't know how it actually sounded like, but they recruited them because their language was so unique. And so they used these Native Americans and used their language as a code, and the Japanese were not able to break it. Well, in a similar way, when you pray in tongues, it is like a war language for the army of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, whenever you, when you pray in English, Satan knows English. When you pray in Korean, Satan knows Korean too. I should know. When I was doing deliverance, one girl started talking back to me in Korean. She, the girl didn't even know much Korean, but she started talking back to me in Korean. I was like, you know, get out in the name of Jesus. Shut up! <laughs> I said, be silent. Shut up! 
You know, it's like talking back to me. Anyway, they, the devil understands all of the known languages. But when you pray in your prayer language, you start uttering mysteries not only to yourself, but you're uttering mysteries to the devil. In fact, you're making agreement for the perfect will of God to be done in your life and in your church. And you don't even understand it, but you're submitting to it. You're trusting the Holy Spirit is interceding for you according to the will of God. The Bible says the Holy Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So when you pray in the Spirit and you pray in your prayer language, your war language, no matter how much Satan tries to break in and say, what the heck is Caroline trying to pray here? I want to I make a preemptive strike on her life, but I cannot figure out what she's praying. All I know is she's praying the perfect will of God. And it frustrates the enemy. Just like it frustrated the Japanese in the movie Wind Talkers. We have a we have a a code we have a war we have a language that the devil cannot break. Uh, I remember one time I, I heard about a, a missionary in Hong Kong, and uh, she had just been introduced to the gift of tongues, and so she just really was just weirded out by it. But one time, as she was walking home, she felt a strong impression just to pray in tongues right in the middle of the alley, and she was working with all of these. Um, Gangbangers in uh, the urban city of uh, in the urban districts of Hong Kong. There's a lot of gangs there, and uh, she was reaching out to them, and she just felt this urgency to pray in tongues. So for 30 minutes, she just stopped in the alley and she just started praying in tongues. And she didn't know what she was praying for, but she was just praying in tongues and praying in tongues and praying in tongues. And when she got home, she noticed that her home was broken into. But the amazing thing was when she went through her house. All of her valuables were still there. It's almost like the robbers came in looking for the valuables, but they were blinded. They couldn't find any. So none of her valuables were taken. Everything was protected and safe. And in fact, if she went home instead of praying in tongues, she would have met those criminals and perhaps would have been harmed. You know, sometimes we don't know what's going on. And God, he may not even be interested in revealing what's going on. He just wants you to pray. And if you're only locked down to praying with your mind and praying in English, oh, you're in trouble. You're going to be severely limited in what you can access and what you can pray for the will of God to be done. In Romans 8, 26 to 27... That's the verse that I quoted earlier. Romans 8, 26 to 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. And he searches our hearts, know, and he who searches our hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Yeah. You know, this is a myth about the gift of tongues. A lot of people think that tongues is compulsive. And so they're staying at the altar. And a pastor Christian, pray for me to receive the gift. I've been praying for this for so many months. Pray for me so I can get a release of the tongues. And I'll be like, receive it. Be activated. And they'll be like, nothing's happening. How come God, and all, this, all these other people are praying in tongues and they're not, and they're like, well, how come God's overlooking me? And, and, and I will need to then take them back and teach them 
that tongues is not always compulsive. In fact, you know, on the day of Pentecost, it was compulsive. For the house of Cornelius, it was compulsive, right? But even for them, after they initially got it compulsively, after that, they had to exercise the gift like any other spiritual gift that they might have. You know, in the Bible, you have compulsive prophesying. Holy Spirit comes on you and you just start prophesying. And then there's voluntary, willing prophesying where you have to partner with God and you have to cooperate with the leading of the Holy Spirit. Just like the gift of prophecy, the gift of working miracles, you got to stretch out, you got to pray for people. The gift of tongues is not always compulsive. Now, here's the thing. Some people receive it for the the first time compulsively, and it's great. And then they're never praying tongues again because it doesn't come compulsively again. And it's a shame because God simply gives it to you compulsively so that he can assure you, you have it. Now exercise it. But here's the thing. For some people, God doesn't ever give it to you compulsively. And in those cases, you just got to receive the teaching. You have to understand that that you have the spirit inside of you. And that when you get that experience of the filling, the baptism of the Spirit, you got to believe the Holy Spirit is now overflowing out of you. And you just exercise the gift, the spiritual gift that can build you up in your faith. That can draw you into closer intimacy. That can give you this warfare access. Weapons that you normally wouldn't have access to. you got to exercise it. You know, um, Pastor Robert Morris down in Texas, he makes a joke. He says, people with a gift of giving, it's not compulsive. When they walk by an offering basket, cash doesn't just pop out of their pocket. Oh, wait, wait, oh that's my gift of giving. <laughs> right? If you got a gift of generosity, your gift of giving, you got to take out your wallet, pray, consider how much you want to give, and then you exercise that gift. Same with tongues. Whether you got it compulsively or not, if you are, if you are baptized with the Spirit, you are filled with the Spirit, and somebody pray for you to be activated, you got it. Now you just got to get in your car and start exercising. <laughs> and when you are in a corporate prayer environment where it is embraced, it's awesome. Because there's something happens when the people of God start praying in the Spirit all together, when they start all praying in tongues together, it's like a river starts rushing into the room. It sounds like a river. like You ever go to a prayer meeting where the gift of tongues is not embraced? It's like taking a hammer and trying to chisel away at concrete. And you got to like continually just like try to get people to pray. Come on, everyone pray. Let's pray, pray. But when you, when, you, when you say, come on, everyone, just use your prayer language. Come on, connect with the heart of God. Let's pray in the Spirit right now. Pray in the Spirit. Everyone's like, and there's this river that starts rushing into the room. Everyone starts to get excited. Oh, the presence of God is here. Oh, what's the next prayer topic? North Korea. Come on, let's pray for North Korea. What's the next? The Jews. Let's pray for the Jews. Oh, let's, what's the next top prayer topic? Living Hope's building. Let's pray for Living Hope's building. You know, at Sunday Swim, when we pray for Living Hope's building, man, people start getting all, like, emotional. I'm like, you know, I, I, I took pictures of uh, the building you guys are, you know, so I, I want to, like, add even more fire to their emotion. 
because they are really believing for you guys to get the new building. You know what I mean? And I believe, and, and, and I try to teach everybody, if we, if we pray for this blessing to be released upon Living Hope, God's going to release the blessings for our own building needs in the future. You know what I mean? Freely you receive, you freely give. Um, tongues is voluntary. It's got, you got to exercise it. It's like um, in the movie Matrix. Remember Neo? He got, he, he would, they would be like, what language do you want? He just got a download of the new language. And then the moment he got that download, he had to open his mouth and he had to stop using English and he had to use another language. Well, it's the same way. When you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, it's like you get a download of a new language. This language to commune with God and to intercede. And so in order for you to use that language, you don't just wait and open your mouth and go, duh. You got to exercise your will and participate. Let it flow. If it sounds weird, it's just because it's your first time. It's just uninitiated. But as you do it, you know, some, some, sometimes I even, I, I'll even um, encourage this. Sometimes people, when they start praying in tongues, it's out of the flesh. It's just Yamaha, Yamaha, should have got a Honda, should have got a Honda, should have got a Honda, should have got a Honda. You know, and, and even some Pentecostal churches, they were actually to train you to start that way. Just use the, repeat the phrase, should have got a Honda, should have got a Honda, should have got a Honda, should have got a Honda. Now, I don't despise that. I don't despise that. You know why? Because you might start out in the flesh, but eventually you'll end up in the spirit. Because that should have got a Honda is going to start taking over, and then you're going to be like a musiquera, I'm okay, Did I just speak Chinese? What is that? The cool thing is some people's prayer language is an actual language. And so there's all these testimonies where, where people are praying and somebody will overhear them and be like, excuse me, do you speak this ancient dialect of Hebrew that only my family of 500 know? Because I hear you using that Hebrew language and, people, and the person's like, uh, no, I was just kind of um, praying in tongues. You know, there's testimonies like that. There's so many testimonies. Now, at New Philly, we haven't seen too many of those testimonies. But I've heard so many um, pastors share those kinds of testimonies. That's because for some people, some people get like, oh, actually, New Philly, we have one. We have one. Oh, it was um, Gloria. What, what language does she speak? Chinese. Chinese. But she speaks Chinese. Mandarin. Oh, 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 so Gloria understands Mandarin because she's a Korean girl that studied in China, right? So she understands she's proficient in Mandarin. And what country was she in? What country was that? Was it, uh, was it like Myanmar or Nepal? Uh, you guys are no help. All right. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was like Nepal because I think she went to Nepal. Anyway, it's a, it's a place where they don't speak Chinese, all right? And this guy just got filled with the Holy Spirit, and he just started speaking in tongues. And Gloria was like, wow, she's, he's speaking in Chinese. And they asked him, Do you, did you learn Chinese? The guy's like, no. That's awesome, right? It's powerful. So third, tongues is a prayer language of the priests of the Lord. So I talked about three things, right? Number one, tongues is a love language for the bride of Christ. Second, tongues is a war language of the army of God. Third is tongues is a prayer language of the priests of the Lord. 
And I always ask God, Lord, why did you choose something as foolish sounding as tongues to bring about your will on the earth? God, why would you do that? And I believe the answer is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says in verse 27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Why does God ordain something as foolish sounding and weird sounding as tongues to bring about his perfect will on the earth? It's so that no human being can boast in his presence. Indeed, it is all by his grace, by his wisdom, that his will in this kingdom advances on the earth. When we access the power of praying in tongues, it really does charge up our personal prayer lives and the corporate prayer life of the church. So I'm not sure, you know, where you guys are at. I know some of you are from different churches. But what I want to encourage you is, should all Christians speak in tongues? That's a common question. Should all, is it just for the Pentecostals? Is it just for the pastors, charismatic leaders? I believe Paul hit it. Apostle Paul hit it right on the head. I wish all of you would speak in tongues. In fact, 1 Corinthians 14 is the most commonly used chapter to forbid speaking in tongues in the church. Because all things should be done in an orderly manner, right? But what Mark Driscoll said, he said the cessationist or the commonly cessationist interpretation of 1 Corinthians 14 is the worst exegesis he has ever seen. He said a third grader can do a better exegesis of 1 Corinthians 14 than some of these cessationists. You know why? Because at the end of chapter 14, Apostle Paul says, and everything should be done in an orderly manner, and do not forbid the speaking in tongues. <laughs> How do you use chapter 14 to forbid speaking in tongues and not read the closing verse of chapter 14? <laughs> Don't you bow your heads right now? Come on. I believe that the revivals of yesterday, they have been an incredible blessing to the church. But many of these revivals were short-lived because the church, they did not continue in prayer. They did not raise up a strong corporate prayer movement. But as God does a, a new work, a fresh work among the young adults of this generation, I want you guys to get it. I want you guys not only to experience revival, but to steward revival. To understand that revival is not just this episodic event thing. But revival, God wants to release waves of revival onto the church to establish a kingdom culture so that when he releases this wave of revival, he wants you to have it permanently. He wants it to be everlasting. The effects of that revival to be everlasting. But you can only steward that kind of culture when you're engaging the heart of God and seeking his face. When you're going to the place of prayer, not only to get something from God, but you're just going to the place of prayer just simply to bless his heart. 
And that's why I believe IHOP is really contributing something valuable. One thing that I've learned from IHOP, actually at New Philly, we started our own house of prayer about a couple of years ago. We call it K1 Per Tabernacle. And I know that Living Water at UC Berkeley, they just started their own house of prayer called Upper Room. One thing that I've learned from, the, uh, from IHOP about the prayer movement is something that I probably would have never learned from the Asian American church or Asian or Korean church is that when you come to the place of prayer, yes, we got to intercede. Yes, we got to check off things and pray for certain things and war and to, and to intercede for the saints. But at other times, God simply just wants us to come to him and just have no agenda but to enjoy his presence. Just to be in the place of prayer where you just bless his heart and just engage his heart and just delight in his presence. You know, a, lot of, a lot of young people, they just don't know how to do that. But I believe that God is raising up prayer movement in all of your local churches you're here at this retreat because God wants you to go back and to be a fire seed of revival fire seed of to start up to be an ignition key to start up and encourage and to and and not to go in there with guns blazing but to really encourage and exhort your local pastors exhort your local leaders come on we got to pray can we have a prayer meeting? Can we, can we get together with no guest speaker? Just Jesus. Can we do that? And just start to establish that culture of corporate prayer. Because when you have a powerful prayer movement, your local church is going to be unstoppable. Nothing that Satan does will be able to stop the work of God. Tonight, I want to begin by praying for people who want to be activated into the gift of tongues. If that's you, I want you to come here to the front. I want you to come here to the front. Yeah. That's it. Come up here to the front. I just want to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you to be activated. Yeah. All I'm going to do is I'm just going to take the ignition key and I'm just going to turn it. I'm just going to give you a spark. It's going to turn that engine. And then from then on, it's up to you to press the gas pedal. You know what I mean? It's up to you to put that thing into second gear and start moving forward. All right, so I gave you the teaching. And as I pray for you, all I'm going to do is pray for that activation. Some of you will get it compulsively. That's just because God just wants to. There's no rhyme or reason to this. He does it for some. He doesn't do it for others. That's why it's called grace. But if you want it, just hunger for it right now in His presence. Come on. Pray in your own words. Say, Lord, I want this gift that's going to help me. This gift that's going to build up my faith. This gift that's going to allow me to pray according to your will at all times. Even when my mind doesn't get it, I'm going to still be able to pray according to your will. Come on, just pray that in your own words. And for the, for the rest of y'all who know how to pray in the Spirit, just start praying in the Spirit right now. Come on. Yes, Lord. come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. 